calls us. God's Spirit sends us. Remember that our Lord Jesus can sympathize with us in our weakness, since in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with boldness approach the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us confess our sins against God and against our neighbor. Let us pray. 
gracious and loving God. We are a people who are always concerned about ourselves. We worry about what is ours, and we are concerned with getting more. We have not been guided by your spirit or the teachings of Christ. Forgive us, we pray, and gently guide us back to your way. Help us to think of others and share what we have with the world. Amen. God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. And welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Reflecting our Creator's warm embrace of all who are created in God's own image. I invite you to turn and greet your neighbors, sharing the peace of Christ with them. And for those of you who are joining us online, we hope that you will take the time to let us know that you are joining us today, whether that's via the QR code on your screen or in the link below your video. And we extend a warm welcome to you as well. So, beloved, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. There's never enough peace in the world, but that's enough peace for now. <laughs> we encourage you to take a moment to look through the closing pages of your bulletin for a variety of ways to grow in knowledge and faith and discipleship, to serve among those in need of food, clothing, shelter, and companionship, to build relationships among a dynamic group of people, and to celebrate the gifts of creativity and musical expression. And if you're here with us in the sanctuary, we hope that you'll take a moment to find and fill out the pew pads and to share those with anyone else who might be seated in the pew whom you've just met a few seconds ago. And I'll highlight a few things of note in our bulletins. All are invited to a congregational deep listening dinner which will, we will be hosting this Friday evening, July the 28th, here at the church as a time for connecting with one another and getting to know each other better. There's no charge for this gathering, but reservations are required. For details on how to reserve a spot at the table, see your worship bulletin or our website. Our annual school supply drive, organized by Women at Fourth, 
is in need of school items for the youth of Chicago Lights, Urban Farm, Summer Day, and tutoring. Details about those needed items and how to contribute are also to be found in your worship bulletin. And also there you will find a bevy of information about the volunteer help that we need for various programs and ministries here at the church. From Spanish translators for meals ministry to coffee hour hosts and servers. Side note, we invite all of you who are worshiping with us in the sanctuary this morning to join us immediately following worship for coffee hour. So you can get a window into the volunteer opportunities that we extend to you. We also would love assistance for those wishing to participate in worship as beadle, usher, liturgist, or a member of the Chancel Guild. Links for signing up or learning more about these opportunities to serve are also printed where? In your worship bulletin. With those wonderful ways to engage in the ministry of this precious church, let us continue to turn our hearts to God in praise and worship.
let us pray. Testify to us, O God, by the voice of your spirit. Put your law in our hearts. Write your word in our minds and show your will in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 139, verses 1 to 12 and 23 through 34. Listen now for God's word to us. Lord, you have searched me out. O Lord, you have known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. Indeed, there is not a word on my lips, but you, O Lord, know it all together. You encompass me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from you, your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make the grave my bed, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light around me turn to night, darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light to you are both alike. Search me out, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my restless thoughts. Look well whether there be any wickedness in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture this morning is from the book of Genesis, the 28th chapter, beginning with the 10th verse and extending to the 19th verse. Once again, listen to God's word for us. Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And there he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. 
And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called that place Bethel. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The house that uh, my wife Meredith and I rented the first year that we were in Kansas City for her residency at the children's hospital there was in an old neighborhood of the city called Brookside. The house had a lot of quirky features like a lot of old houses and my favorite one was the front patio. It was about 50 feet across, 15 feet or so deep, concrete, painted bright red. <laughs> and the paint uh, made it so that it was kind of slick when it rained, so you had to be careful. And uh, one night I came home from the grocery store with paper grocery bags that were packed a little too full and I came up those steps a little too enthusiastically and the bottom of one of those bags gave out and the glass bottle of extra virgin olive oil, the big one, the 33.8 ounce bottle, broke through the bottom of the bag, shattered on impact and spread a slick of oil all over that red concrete patio. I spent the next hour or so trying to clean the oil off of the paint and concrete muttering cursing under my breath the whole time. What occurs to me today in light of the story that we just heard is that I might have been viewing that situation all wrong. Rather than cursing the poor construction of the grocery bag or my own clumsiness, I should have been celebrating. Perhaps what happened there wasn't an accident. Maybe it was an anointing. <laughs> Jacob stands up a big old rock for a pillar and he pours oil all over it. To anoint it. Anointing happens quite a lot in the Bible. It's a thing that is done to kings. It's done to prophets. People who are in need of healing are anointed. Anointing is a, an important biblical symbol. The word anointed is actually the literal meaning of the word Christ. And so for us as Christians, anointing makes up a major part of who we understand Jesus to have been and by extension, who we understand ourselves to be. Anointing somebody sets them apart for a particular task or calling. It designates them as holy. And as our story demonstrates, things and places can also be anointed. It has the same purpose. Anointing a place renders it holy and sets it apart for a special purpose. Anointing a place transforms it from being just some place to being this place. Anointing turns a place into a sanctuary. So Jacob anoints this pillar and the first people 
to hear tell of this story would immediately know that place as the sanctuary of Bethel or house of God. Bethel was an important Israelite sanctuary for a long, long time, and this appears to be its origin story. The story says that the place that you know as a sanctuary was not always thus. There was a time when our special place was just someplace. Every sanctuary has an origin story. This sanctuary, where we are met in person and online this morning, has an origin story. We rehearse it once a year on the Sunday in May that we call Dedication Commemoration Sunday, remembering the day in 1914 when this building became our church's sanctuary, when it held its first worship service. Before this sanctuary was built, this place at the intersection of Delaware and Pine Street, now Michigan Avenue, was just a marshy kind of place with some boarding houses and a few new mansions popping up here and there. But the story is told here, Matt wrote about this a couple years ago for our sesquicentennial in a way that was very helpful. As a condition of accepting the call to become the new pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church, a young preacher named John Timothy Stone dictated that a new sanctuary for the church should be built here in this space. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, that, that this place, with its ceilings, stained glass, its, its organ and font, its pulpit, this place where we baptize infants as well as adults, where we solemnize our friends and where we sing hymns and say prayers, rehearse the story of the faith week after week, this place, this sanctuary was just some place. Well, I, for one, am glad that this place is this place for us and for everybody who comes here because people have always needed sanctuaries. People will always need sanctuaries. Each week, for us, this is a sanctuary. We come into a kind of space and a kind of time in here that's marked off as special or different than all of the other times and spaces that we might inhabit throughout the week. There's a hymn that we sometimes sing in here that captions this distinction for me. Its middle two verses explain, here are symbols to remind us of our lifelong need of grace. Here are table, font, and pulpit. Here the cross has central place. Here, in honesty of preaching, in silence as in speech, here, in newness and renewal, God the Spirit comes to each. Here our children find a welcome in the shepherd's flock and fold. Here, as bread and wine are taken, Christ sustains us as of old. Here, the servants of the servants seek in worship to explore what it means in daily living, to believe and to adore. We need this place here. I need this place here. But there is more that happens in this space than worship that makes it a sanctuary, designates it for a holy purpose to all who enter it. The stories will surely never all be told of all the women and men, all of the children, all of the people who have come through these doors, who've come through the doors of the Gratz Center, who've come through the doors of the Loggia, looking to find some form of sanctuary. Sanctuary from all kinds of things, sanctuary from the weather, 
sanctuary from hunger, thirst, sanctuary from loneliness, sanctuary from doubt, sanctuary from violence, sanctuary from God only knows what. People literally find sanctuary in this space for going on seven months or so now, the Morse Lounge has provided some measure of sanctuary to hundreds of migrants from Central America through the work of our social service center, through the donations of many of you. It was estimated in May that over 10,000 people have arrived in Chicago since August of last year. Hotels like the one next door here on Chestnut, park districts, community centers, they've all been converted and will continue to be converted to short-term emergency shelters for people who have fled their homes are and in desperate life and death need of sanctuary. And the city, we as a city, are trying to provide it. Many of those folks have walked through the doors of this building. And for every one of those people, as well as for every one of the people across all of the years that have found themselves within these walls for as long as they've been standing, this space has served a holy function that neither we nor they will ever fully know. Somebody once asked me if Fourth Church would still exist without the sanctuary. I had to think about that. I think that it surely would. After all, there were two other Fourth Church sanctuaries before this one, and there have been seasons when this church has had to do without its sanctuary, seasons of tragedy like fire, like COVID and seasons of growth like construction. So I think that it would, most definitely. But I also think that the sanctuary is a major part of who the church is and what we are called to be about in the world today because people still need sanctuary. And people still know, I think, when they see a church that they can expect to find some sanctuary within it. Jacob, from our story, Jacob needs sanctuary. When we meet him in this story, he's alone. He's vulnerable. He's probably terrified. He has fled his home and he's stumbling toward a future that he's not choosing for himself. And among the things that Jacob needs sanctuary from is himself, from his own actions and the consequences that those actions have had for him and for other people. And in a vision, a vision from the God who called to his parents and his grandparents, Jacob is given sanctuary. Jacob is given to know that he's already in a sanctuary and he didn't even know it. And even though he's going to be the one who sets up the pillar and pours the oil on it and gives the place its name, Jacob is not the one who makes Bethel a sanctuary. God does that. People don't make sanctuaries. God does. A place is not holy because of anything that we might choose to do to it or say about it. A place is holy because God is present in it. And any place may be holy, and we probably won't even know it. But this vision that Jacob has of a ladder or, or maybe a stairway or maybe a ramp reaching up into the heavens with angels going up and down it, what that vision shows him what it shows us is that any place, perhaps every place, becomes holy when God is revealed there. 
any place. The lake shore at sunset, sure, but also a, also a highway overpass during rush hour. Yes, the mountains, and also a back alley. It is the presence of God that renders the places we inhabit and pass through as holy, and we mostly are not aware of it until God opens our eyes and we suddenly become aware. The surgeon, Richard Selzer, described a time when his eyes were opened. He wrote in an essay, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish, a tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at each other and touch each other so generously and greedily? The young woman speaks, will my, will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say it will, it's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles, I like it, he says, it's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I am so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers to show her that their kiss still works. The surgeon lowers his eyes. Jacob shudders with fear at the awesomeness of what he has seen and he exclaims surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it what about you what would happen to you if you were to realize that God was present and you didn't know it would you get quiet would you shout would you call someone would would you cry friends God is near to us and we do not know it most of the time. God is in this place even when we don't know it. And our not knowing it does not make it any less true. Such knowledge, to borrow words from the psalmist, is too wonderful. It's too wonderful for us. It's too high for us to attain. Whatever knowledge or awareness that we have of God at any given moment is given to us by God as a gift. It's grace. It isn't up to us or our intelligence or our spiritual sensitivity to detect and to actualize God's presence in our lives. God is with us. God promises to remain with us whether we know it or not. What I'm working against here is the kind of notion that we have to attain a level of enlightenment or, or moral fitness before God will want to have anything to do with us. A lot of us, I think, are dogged by a sense that we're not religious enough. We don't read our Bible enough. We don't pray enough. We don't give enough. We cuss a little. We cuss a lot. What 
would God want to have to do with any of us? Well, let me introduce you to Jacob. (laughs) Jacob, patriarch of the faith, is a straight-up shady character. (laughs) Jacob is a trickster. Jacob is dishonest. Jacob spends most of his time scheming to secure his own well-being and future. Jacob's name literally means to supplant because the story of his birth is that he was born clutching the heel of his twin brother. Presbyterian minister and author Frederick Buechner has a great phrase about Jacob that I love. He says, Jacob wanted the moon and if he'd ever managed to bilk heaven out of that, he would have been back the next morning for the stars to go with it. Jacob manipulates his brother into giving up his birthright. Jacob tricks his blind father into giving him the blessing that is rightfully due to his brother. He puts on his brother's clothes and pretends to be him and receives his blessing. Jacob is hustling and scheming from one thing to the next. He gets what he can get and then he gets out. He's always been like this and He's probably always going to be like this. There's a story that comes later in Genesis where Jacob ghosts his father-in-law and makes off with pretty much everything in the house that's not nailed down. What I'm saying is nobody is nominating Jacob to be a church officer. (laughs) And a lot of people aren't sure he should be a member. And yet the gospel is that God is with Jacob and has a purpose for Jacob. And Jacob doesn't even know it. Now that's not to make a model out of Jacob's behavior. Grace does not license badness, but it is to put the spotlight of faith in the right place, which is on the presence of God in any place where we might find ourselves, not because we did anything to summon it, but simply because God loves us. Jacob's vision locates his life within the life of God, that his life is enfolded within God's. Jacob's life is about what God's life is about because this is the Lord that is speaking to him. The God who first conscripted his grandparents and then his parents into this plot to bless all the families of the earth. That's what this is about. Whatever else is promised here, land, descendants, protection, a homecoming, all of it serves the primary agenda of God blessing the world. Though Jacob never knew it until now, and though he still doesn't seem like a great candidate for the job, this is what his life is now about. It's what the life of the people who are going to follow him will be about as they spread out like the dust of the earth. Blessing the world is what the church's life is about. So we have work to do. You heard it from Pastor Nancy already. Women at Fourth are running a school supply drive. The World Mission and Social Justice Council is engaging violence interrupters to reduce gun violence. The meals ministry needs Spanish translators. We need beetles and ushers and liturgists for worship, people to help set up communion. We need cookie table hosts, servers, hospitality coordinators for coffee hour. That's all in the news and opportunity section of the bulletin. And it all relates to blessing. It's all part of our job description of the people of God who have been given this vision, God's presence with us, and who have so also received this calling. So let's get to work, amen? Amen.
And friends, together let us affirm what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The white rose that is in the upper chancel unfortunately signifies a death within our church family. We mourn with the Mori family at the death of Janet Mori, who passed away on July 20th this past week. So we'll continue to pray for their family as they grieve, while also giving thanks to God for Janet's life and for the promise of life eternal. So let us pray. O Lord, as the 139th Psalm reminds us, you have indeed searched and known every single one of us. When we take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there, your hand holds us fast. There is nothing that is outside the bounds of your love, no end to your hopes for us, and nothing that exceeds your grace and care. And it is because of that promise, the same promise that was once extended to Jacob and those who came before him and after him, that we lift up our prayers today knowing that you continue to be at work in our midst, even in places of challenge and hurt and pain. We do pray today for all those who are dealing with the devastating effects of our changing climate. The soaring summer temperatures and natural disasters have affected tens of millions around the globe and put the lives of vulnerable populations at risk. And we pray that you would guide each of us to be more conscientious of the impact that we are having both for ourselves and the generations that come after us. We pray for all those who continue to struggle to make ends meet on a daily basis, from housing or food insecurity, to those suffering from a lack of opportunity or for reasons of hope. And we pray that you would open the door to new possibilities and better futures. We pray for victims of violence, those trapped in war zones, in communities plagued by gun violence and those living under oppressive and autocratic regimes, and pray that they too would one day know peace, could find sanctuary, and be given an opportunity to truly flourish. It can be hard for us to hold or even recognize the depth of need that so many are facing, but we do hold to that promise that you have given us, the promise that says your love for us will never let us go. So may our lives reflect that, May your word be heard not just in this building, but embodied and proclaimed through our collective lives. May you strengthen us for all that you ask us to do and give us courage and grant us a sense of the hope and peace that your son came to bring. Indeed, we pray for all those who are quietly working to manifest your love in this world, a work that often takes place outside of the headlines, but one that is grounded in a deep care for every single person 
as a beloved child of God. We pray for those in supportive services, those advocating for peace and understanding in places torn apart by violence, and those who invest in the lives of others through teaching and tutoring, mentoring and caring. And we pray that we as a church would continue to witness to your love in all that we do, serving you and your people, however and wherever you call us to. It is in humility and hope that we raise these prayers this day, closing with the words that your son taught us to pray as we continually seek your kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Trusting that God is indeed with us in our world, we bring our offerings to God this morning, not looking for praise or honor for ourselves, but as our way of giving thanks for the work that God is doing in and around and among and through us. In giving of ourselves, we express our commitment and desire to continue building the kingdom and kingdom of God in this world, loving our neighbor, welcoming the stranger, caring for the sick and suffering. So whether you're giving online or here in the sanctuary, all of these offerings directly support the work and ministry of this congregation as we do our best to be a light in the city, serving all through Christ's love. So friends, our morning offering will now be received.
friends, let us dedicate the offerings of our lives in prayer. Giving and compassionate God, with our offerings this morning, we also present ourselves, all that we have been, all that we are, and all that we shall become, as we resolve once more to walk in your ways. We give, trusting that through our gifts and through the gift of your Holy Spirit, your love will continue to be at work in this world. Amen. go out into the world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, return no one evil for evil, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be kind and gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.